welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. During the Easter season, our readings and preaching tend to focus on Jesus as the risen Lord or the implications of the resurrection. Today is no different, except that in these readings, we are afforded the opportunity to look back at Jesus' life before the resurrection and listen into an earlier conversation. In it, John, in the gospel, shares a number of items which fit into the Easter theme. And the collect for the day, uh, that's on the bottom of page two, I believe. Yep, the collect for the fourth Sunday of Easter. uh, Is and will serve as a bit of an outline regarding these themes. And at the end of our time together, um, at least in this part of the time together, uh, I want us to pray together as a conclusion to the sermon really as a, as a means of expressing our interest in hearing God's voice correctly in our ears. When my family and I are uh, watching television, which doesn't happen very often, uh, there, we've discovered there's really not much that we are as a family interested in watching. What I am most curious about are the commercials. The commercials are trying to convince you of something. They're always trying to convince us of something. And sometimes it has to do with, um, you know, the, the kind of thing you might become or be as a result of the product that you should have on your shelf or you should purchase at the grocery store or the kind of vehicle that you drive or any one of those kinds of things. And so what I do when the commercials are on is I regularly ask my kids, What are they trying to convince you of? What is it they're trying to push upon you? What is the worldview that they're trying to get you to think about in the advertisement? How are they seeking to influence your behavior? And I I think really every commercial does that. They're influencing us in some way. They're trying to communicate to us what sort of thing we need to be successful. The The sports drink, Gatorade will make you bigger and stronger and faster on the athletic field. Um, the hotel you sleep in when you're on a business trip means that you could be a brain surgeon, even if you're not, right? Um, it will make you successful in your work. The, the kind of beer you drink is going to uh, guarantee a good time. The, the car you drive is, is going to prove your financial Viability, or your, your sexual worth, or your social standing, whatever. Right? These commercials always incline something to us. They impress upon us a particular worldview, trying to get us to use that product in hopes that we would lean into that idea that's apparent behind the commercial. What are they trying to convince us of? And in today's gospel, Jesus 
is invited to give a commercial about himself. His response, I think, is instructive as we contemplate the resurrection and the implication of it in our lives. And so first I want to speak about the identity of Jesus as the good shepherd. Because really that's what he says in his moment, this little brief commercial. I don't know if it were 30 seconds long or maybe a minute. It would have been millions of dollars if he had to buy a minute for the Super Bowl. Um, He speaks about his identity as the good shepherd. And then I want to spend a little time commenting on the context of the statement in which Jesus was speaking. See, oftentimes what Jesus does is he takes the environment that he's involved in or the historical moment of Israel and he speaks about who he is in light of that moment. He does so here. And it's really instructive for us. It's helpful for us to understand because while Jesus is giving a commercial about who he is, in some ways it's really a statement about who the uh, business owner wants him to be, so to speak. It's really more about a commercial from the other side, less from Jesus. Anyways, that's the second thing I want to take a look at for a little bit, because I think it opens up this window to understanding his statement. And last, I want to speak about the identity of the consumer, that is the sheep, and their response. So John records in this conversation that it occurred at a very specific location near the temple. It begins this way. Just follow along with me in your bulletins if you have it there. In verse 24. So the Jews, Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Here comes the commercial. Jesus answered him, I told you and you do not believe. The words that I do are in my father's name and bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. It's interesting uh, language here. The Jews gather around him and ask him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Uh, This Greek verb gathered around him could, could really be translated encircled him. This was not a friendly conversation. This was encircling Jesus, the bullies gathering around him, encircling him to cause difficulty. They surrounded Jesus with this question. Why? Because the Jews want to compel Jesus to make a categorical statement about who he is. They're impatient with all that has gone on with regard to Jesus. And they've come to a point where they finally have had enough. They're going to demand a clear answer from him. Are you the Messiah or are you not? If he was the Messiah, then he want, they wanted him to fulfill his calling according to their ideas. By achieving independence for Israel from the Roman authority. And if he was not the Messiah, then quite honestly, they're going to shrug their shoulders, shake their heads probably, and and look elsewhere. And they could not escape the fact that his miracles, however, exceeded the powers of any ordinary man. And that his teaching carried authority greater than anybody they had ever heard teach and speak before, especially of those of the established religious leaders. On the other hand, he had not formally presented himself as the Messiah, nor had he demonstrated any political ambitions. And so there's this 
this mix-up of worldview identity. What is the Messiah going to be about? In their mind, the Messiah was somebody who was going to take political authority and political power and military authority and power as well and kick out the Romans and establish Israel finally and fully forever. And Jesus has a different perspective. It's in the last word in verse 26, sheep raises a key image which speaks about how Jesus understands himself and in the extended passage here. Earlier in the chapter, uh, which we did not read, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, and he picks up this imagery here in, in our reading again. And we've only read eight of the verses from the chapter. Uh, scholars call this entire chapter the good shepherd narrative. And the whole chapter basically is a series of lessons that Jesus gives in which he declares himself the good shepherd. And declaring this, he gives himself particular qualities that help his hearers identify and understand his words and his deeds. And so Jesus clearly states, I've told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus places uh, in his reply, the burden of proof on his questioner, on those who have encircled him. And he reminds them that his previous sayings and works should be sufficient enough to establish his messianic mission. That is, if they understand their scripture rightly, they should have picked up on who Jesus is. Why? Because in John chapter 5, he heals the lame. In chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people. Chapter 7, he speaks with authority. These are the things that have gone into the ministry of Jesus that declare and demonstrate exactly who he is. Yet we still have to ask the question, who is the good shepherd? How are we to understand him? After all, he declares himself to be that. Well, there are two kinds of biblical shepherds. Those who care for sheep... And those, divine or mortal, who have care of human beings. Both are demonstrated in the Old Testament and the New, but in particular the, new, the Old here. And the care exercised over fellow mortals may be understood biblically to be political care or spiritual care as well. So it's not too difficult for us to see that those who have encircled Jesus have not misrepresented the idea of a good shepherd because in the biblical Old Testament perspective, a good shepherd would be somebody who cares for the people in a, uh, a political sense, but also in a spiritual sense as well. Uh, Homer in the Iliad, along with other secular writers, frequently call kings and governors shepherds. So this is an idea that's in place at the time. And the literal shepherd pursued and still pursues his uh, exacting calling. That is, the shepherd is responsible to find grass for the sheep to eat. And water that's appropriate rather than uh, you know, desert and dry, stony land. Psalm 23 might come to mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lay, makes me lie down by streams. He finds good pasture for me and so on. This is the image that's in place for the sheep. 
Ultimately, his mission and purpose is to care for and enliven the sheep through a demonstration of his personal power. So Jesus, as good shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep as a voluntary sacrifice for them to preserve them. His main purpose was the salvation of the sheep, which he defines as free access to pasture and fullness of life, but only under the protection and perfect guidance of the Good Shepherd. It's interesting, we read from Revelation chapter 7 tonight, if you page a couple pages before Revelation 7, chapter 5 in Revelation speaks about Jesus as the Lamb. And it's really interesting in that chapter 5 because the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, another Old Testament imagery, but a sheep nevertheless, is viewed as one who is already slain. He's already killed. He's got blood on him in chapter 5. And Jesus' responsibility here as the good shepherd is to lay down his life for the sheep, which is why in Revelation chapter 5, the lamb is already bloody because he has done that. He has laid his life down for the sheep. So Jesus states that his ability to shepherd and care for the sheep happens primarily as a result of the relationship that he has with the heavenly father. He says, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. No one can snatch the sheep away from either Jesus or the Heavenly Father. They share the same power and same authority. And his statement reflects his divine role as God's agent of salvation. Not only does Jesus protect and provide, but he says this in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It was and still is a well-known phenomenon that shepherds in the Middle East have the ability to call their sheep by name. And those sheep will follow their shepherd. It's, it's so profound, actually, that multiple shepherds with multiple flocks of sheep would guard their sheep together at night in the same sheep pen, which may be a room, or not even an enclosed room, but a, a space about as big as this. And it would have walls somewhere around four feet high. And there would be one entrance into this sheep pen. And multiple shepherds would bring the sheep in. And as the shepherd, especially the good shepherd, would bring the sheep in, he would kneel down and he would examine each sheep. He would rub his hands over the sheep to make sure there are no burrs that the sheep picked up in the course of the day as they were traveling. He would check their legs to see, are there any injuries on their legs that need oil for like a Band-Aid to care for them and so on and so forth. He would check to see, have, have they been well fed? Are they watered enough? And so on and so forth. So that he would prepare in his thinking for the next day. This is what the good shepherd did. And then the shepherds, plural, would leave their sheep in here. They would, the shepherds would sleep in the doorway because sheep wouldn't jump over the shepherd that was sleeping in the gate. Another place in John talks about Jesus being the gate. Interesting ideas there. But for Jesus to be the good shepherd, he then in the next day after they have all slept, each shepherd would call his sheep by name. They spent the evening mingling with all the other sheep from the other flocks. And as the shepherd would call each one of his sheep by name, they would 
hear their name called and they would turn and follow. That was the, that's the imagery that Jesus is operating in here in this set of stories. That the sheep know his name. Jesus here communicates that he leads and cares for the people who hear his voice. And so Jesus answers the Jewish crowd's question without explicitly answering. The question is, are you the Messiah? And he says, yes, for he leads those people who hear his voice and cares for them. Yes, he is the Messiah because he is one with the father. Therefore, no one could seize the sheep. Because it was ultimately his father's flock, and he was the one, he was one with the father. The Greek thinkers could speak of the deity as a unity. And Jewish hearers would very quickly and immediately think of the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Right here, O Israel, the Lord is one. There's a unity there. And with such words, Jesus not only denies that his hearers are in right relationship with God, but claims his divine status, that those hearers would understand who he is, rather than think that Jesus was making a blasphemous statement about his divinity, as they suppose. The very next verse in John 10 reads, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Well, we didn't read that. That's the conclusion of this passage is that the people that hear this story of Jesus declaring himself to be one with the father, the Messiah, it enrages them because they already have determined whether he is the Messiah or not. Why? Because they're not listening to him. They're not listening to the good shepherd. And so they misunderstand who he is. The identity of Jesus is declared in his statement of unity with his father. Now, in, in typical Johannine fashion, he notes this conversation in a particular geographical location and historical context that draws the hearer and the reader into this larger uh, religious narrative. He says in verse 22, at the time, the feast, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So it's a little tidbit of historical detail here, and John gives us this insight. because It's, it's helpful because it's an important clue to what Jesus is doing at this scene. John's Jewish Christian audience probably would hear the demands of Jesus' opponents that he reveal whether he is the Messiah or not in the context of the Feast of Dedication, which commemorated a national and political deliverance. Jesus ultimately redefines the question by asserting not a political role, but his role as the Father's agent in unity with the Father. And so the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah, was a relatively minor and more recent celebration that made its way into the Jew Jewish calendar, and it recalled the rededication of the temple in 168 BC by the Greek monarch Antiochus Epiphanes. So here's what happens. Antiochus Epiphanes is the king of Syria, and he invades and captures Jerusalem, and he plunders the treasury, 
And he sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple of Solomon to Jupiter. He desecrates the temple with false priests he puts into place. And he's the ruler. He's defeated Jerusalem. So he's going to set up his own worship system. And this enrages the Jewish people. As you might imagine, their entire identity was wrapped up in the temple of Solomon. Why? Because that's the place where God promised, I will always be with you. I will dwell with you there. This is the place of the temple where you will come and make sacrifices. And I will forgive you of your sins. It's the place where prayers and sacrifices were made. And this heathen rolls into town and desecrates the temple. And so a group of people got together under the leadership of uh, Judas Maccabeus. And he uh, threw out all of the the heathens. He got rid of them. He established Israel's system. And on this day of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication... It was, in Jesus' day, hundreds of years later, a day in which the priests of Israel would rededicate themselves to the Lord. As a way of saying, we are just like those in our history who dedicated themselves at the temple. The priests are rededicating themselves to that moment. And so Jesus takes up this historical picture and says, all right, you want to talk about dedicating yourself to Yahweh? I'm going to tell you that you're not listening to Yahweh because I am the good shepherd and you don't know his voice. You haven't listened to me carefully. So it's in this context that Jesus tells the story. And the Jewish leadership is challenged. They're at the very location, the temple. At the time of the feast of dedication, it's in winter. They demand Jesus declare his identity here because of this declaration of leadership. They want Jesus to, like them, declare their, his intentions as a priest. Are you, they're asking Jesus, are you going to be with us or not? Are you going to demonstrate your faithfulness, Jesus, to the Jewish religious system? They are asking, will you be the one, just like Judas Maccabeus, who led politically, and will you be the one to expunge the Romans from Israel? That's the the historical backdrop that they're asking this question. And in the story, Jesus effectively calls the Jewish leaders false shepherds. For during this feast of Hanukkah, a a feast of dedication, Hanukkah, Ezekiel 34 was read. And in that chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, uh, by this point, probably 700 years earlier or so, prophesied against false priests who were described as false shepherds in Israel. The feast recalled the corrupt priests of the Greek era as a means of rededicating their ministry. And in his earlier comments in John 10, Jesus notes two criteria for fraudulent leaders. First, their entry into authority is wrong. That's the first thing. And second, false leaders' voices cannot be recognized. And so in this passage, Jesus shows that he alone 
knows and is known by the sheep, for they hear his voice. And he assaults their leadership, for they do not know the voice of Jesus as the good shepherd. They're simply not of Jesus's sheepfold, and hence they cannot hear his voice. They're effectively the same false prophets as those in Ezekiel's day and those who lead the desecration of the temple with their unfaithful leadership. So it's in this context that Jesus makes his statement about himself as the Messiah and the Son of God. They would have been startled by this claim about them, even as they were in Jerusalem for the dedication, their own dedication as priests. Last, if we are considering Jesus as the good shepherd, I think it's important for us to examine those he is shepherding. That is, we need to understand the sheep. This is the key point of contention for the Jewish leadership in the story, for they believe themselves to be the true shepherds of Israel. And they cannot understand Jesus's statements related to his own identity because Jesus charges those who are challenging him with unbelief because they refuse the evidence of who he is that he is so plainly given to them. He said the reasons they did not believe was that they were simply not his sheep. And by telling them they did not belong to his flock, he implied that it wasn't genetics. In other words, it wasn't that they were descended from Father Abraham. It wasn't that your chosen Jewish line, that's the criteria for salvation. His sheep manifested their nature by following him. His sheep enjoy the favor of God because they hear his voice. And the one that hears the voice of the good shepherd is the one that's near to the good shepherd. So his immediate hearers refused to believe and they cut themselves off from further revelation. Take a look at the revelation passage for implications and characteristics of the sheep. The sheep that belong to the Lord's flock are characterized by obedience, recognition of the shepherd, and allegiance to him. They're guaranteed eternal life and permanent protection. All the resources of God are committed to their preservation. Eternal life is given to them, not earned by them. After all, what can a sheep do for its shepherd? They themselves are given to Christ by the Father. Christ promises his personal protection to the sheep that the Father has given to him. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Why can Jesus make these claims of caring and leading like a shepherd? Because he is essentially one with the Father, and therefore he maintains the sovereignty of God. So all like, so like all commercials, what is Jesus trying to convince you of? Is he the good shepherd who lays his life down for you, whom the father has given to him? He is one with the father in purpose and ministry, and he calls his sheep. He calls you. He calls us into relationship with him. Won't you open up your hearts and hear the good shepherd and follow him? Let's pray together on the bottom of page two. The collect for the fourth Sunday of Easter. And I invite you to pray this with me as a way of 
invitation to the Lord that we would hear his voice and know him and follow where he leads. Let's pray together. Oh God, whose son Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follows where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue.